Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry. Hey, welcome back to the program. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Live Mike is the name of this little show, episode 27, last segment of the day. I'm grateful to you for joining us throughout the day today, right now on the floor of the United States Senate. Jason Crow, one of the seven House impeachment managers, is making his case against the president of the United States. That'll carry on for the next few days, and then it'll be the defense team's turn to make their case in favor of the president and against the articles sent over by the House of Representatives. Uh, It's my promise to you, we're going to continue to follow this. I'll be up late tonight, I'm sure, reviewing this, and I'll report back to you tomorrow anything I find interesting or informative or uh, relevant to this uh, big old storyline. In the last segment, I told you that we were awaiting a uh, a cache of documents to come, and they uh, are likely to come at any time. We don't yet have our hands on them, but they will inform us of the formal charges against the uh, young suspect in the death of four folks, uh, four members of the same family uh, in Grantsville. Uh, A terrible, horrible tragedy befell that community, and specifically the Haney family, on Friday night. And over the weekend, we scrambled for details. I myself drove out there Monday morning and just sat in front of the house for a moment and looked uh, at the winter decorations on the porch, these uh, white snowflakes hanging uh, above the railing just before you walk into the house. Uh, On that same porch, there was a a bench where I speculated maybe uh, that's where mom and the kids sat when it was time for trick-or-treating. There was a van parked outside uh, with the stickers in the back window. You know the kind of stickers. uh, There's one for mom and one for dad, little stick figures, one for all the kids. And the the real cute folks put up uh, a couple stick figures for the pets and those uh, two were on the back of a van and it was just a kind of a a somber moment for me but it uh, allowed me to kind of get my head around uh, this terrible tragedy on the line now is greg scortis an attorney here uh, and i am grateful to you greg for joining us and i also owe you a a thanks Uh, you are a name well known to this radio station you as i was traveling across the country with my young baby here to assume my position uh as a host on this program you were doing me a great service and uh filling in as host and i just wanted to thank you for doing that and and, uh, congratulate you on a a great job done i listened to you you as i was driving out here thank you i enjoyed doing that it's difficult what you do though (laughs) i'm sweating right now uh Listen, uh, we had hoped to we had hoped to to have uh, this segment be a breakdown of sorts. We had thought we would get our hands on some documents outlying uh, the charges being leveled against this suspect. We don't yet have those, and so while I do have you, let me take advantage of your expertise. When documents of these type are uh, initially made public, what is it that someone like you looks for initially? What's the the first thing uh, to catch your attention? 
So what I would do, Lee, is that when the prosecutor files a case like this, they'll typically include what they call a probable cause statement, which is a summary, just a fairly brief summary. In this case, maybe a couple pages long, but a summary of the charges, what, what the government thinks its case is. It's not the recitation of the facts or it's not evidence by any means. But when, when the government has uh, serious charges and they intend to hold somebody in custody, they want to bolster those charges and convince a judge why bail should be a high amount or why the charges warrant the whatever they are. So they'll have a probable cause statement that will be very valuable in determining what they think the evidence is. We have heard through various reports that the suspect is uh, relatively young. Uh, we have also learned that they will likely be charged as an adult. What's the criteria uh, for making such a decision like that? Um, that's a good question. Utah law allows that a 16 or 17 year old can be charged as an adult. In fact, it should be charged as an adult when they're accused of a murder, or in this case, it's probably going to be an aggravated murder. So typically we, we reserve, uh, the juvenile court for, uh, individuals accused of crimes under the age of 18, but Utah allows what we call a direct file. In other words, they don't even have to start in juvenile court. They just file in the adult court system when the individual is 16. And my understanding um, from the Twila County Attorney's Office is that the accused here is a 16-year-old male, and so they'll just file directly in the adult court. They'll bypass the juvenile court altogether. Understood. Uh, capital punishment is a legal penalty here in the state of Utah. Could it have? Uh, could it come into play in this case? It cannot. And 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 this is an egregious case. I mean, if this kid did this crime uh, and he was eighteen, he would clearly qualify for capital punishment for the death penalty. But our uh, Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court, has said that this, the death penalty is reserved only for adults. You cannot execute somebody for something they did while they were under the age of 18. That violates what we call our cruel and unusual punishment clause of the of the Constitution, and it, it wouldn't be something that would be on the table. That doesn't mean that he wouldn't get the alternative to that, which is life in prison without the possibility of parole. But he he would not be a, a candidate for the death penalty under state or federal law. Understood. Once these documents are released uh, for the accused, what is the next step in their legal process? And the first thing they'll do is they'll schedule a hearing in fairly short order uh, because he's he's in custody and they've got to do something. And that hearing will be to determine uh, three things really. One what his custody status will be. And I'm sure that they're going to ask for either no bail or such a high bail amount that it's impossible for him to get out. And then uh, the appointment of counsel. Does he qualify for a public defender? Is his family going to hire somebody? And then the last thing is just to schedule uh, what's called a preliminary hearing, an evidentiary hearing to decide if there's enough evidence to go forward with trial. And there'll be some intermediate hearings in the meantime, but he'll probably be brought before a judge if the charges do come down today, which I expect any minute, 
he'll probably be dropped before a judge uh, tomorrow or Friday. Attorney Greg Scordis, I'm grateful to you for joining us. Thanks for making this all clear for us. And thank you for all the service you do to our listeners. I know you appear on a number of the programs here, and you are uh, the go-to guy with the go-to mind. And I uh, expect that once we do get our hands on these uh, documents and we have a chance to comb through them, we'll be calling you again uh, to see you, to get your analysis. Again, uh, Greg Scordis, I'm grateful to you for joining us on the program. Thanks so much, Lee. All righty. Listen, just a few more moments left in today's program on the floor of the House Senate right now as I monitor it. It's Jason Crow. He's a, a representative Democrat uh, serving today as an impeachment manager. His name, along with uh, six other managers, will go down in history as one of the very few who prosecuted a case against the president of the United States on the floor of the U.S. Senate. We spoke to one such individual here in studio just last week. Utah's own Chris Cannon served in this role, and it was fascinating to hear from him uh, his insight as he uh, took upon himself that great responsibility. Uh, today's been a, a tough show. Uh, we've talked about some pretty somber topics, and we've talked about some legal topics. We've talked about uh, some fun things, too. We heard that, uh, what, those senators, they can't drink uh, anything but, what, water and sparkling water, maybe some milk if they smuggle it in. That's kind of interesting. Uh, we also talked with Utah Representative Craig Hall, who this morning appeared at a press conference uh, on day one of a new rule taking effect here in the state of Utah, which outlaws conversion therapy. Uh, and you know what conversion therapy is, I think. If not, it's uh, let me tell you, it's when you are uh, homosexual and you enter into some sort of therapy or uh, some sort of any kind of uh, process or procedure that might uh, be destined or designed to change your sexuality. That's conversion therapy. Well, uh, some time ago, Representative Craig Hall, a Republican here in the state of Utah, uh, kicked off an effort which has led to today a rule uh, being uh, signed by Governor Herbert outlawing that practice here in the state of Utah. A great victory for for many folks. Uh, it joins us uh, in league with a number of other states across the country. In fact, uh, it was uh, Chelsea Clinton. You know her? The daughter of uh, Bill Clinton made it known on Twitter today. That's how I found out about that. Interesting stuff. Uh, listen, we got a big show already in the works for tomorrow. We're going to speak to some firefighters who have been spending their last little while down in Puerto Rico uh, helping the folks down there. That's all on tomorrow's episode of Live Mike. And I'm Lee Lonsberry. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.